Show. We take another trip to the movies, which is very, very exciting, and it's one of my favorite topics. It hasn't always been one of my favorite topics, but because of the show Face Off, which airs on the Sci-Fi Network, it's currently in its, I don't know, billionth season or so, I have come to get more and more into movie makeup and special effects. Now, if you've never seen the show Face Off, it's basically, think of it like Project Runway, but for movie makeup. It's like Project Runway, but featuring monsters and aliens and ghosts and scary clowns and shit like that. It's amazing. It's a wonderful show. Now, I'd never met anyone who did this in real life. And so got hooked up once again by Brad Hegg, who is in the Denver film community. And if you're not working to support or check out things going on in the Denver film community, you're clearly doing it wrong because it's an incredible community. And he recommended that I get in touch with Monster Makeup Effects. And I ended up sitting down with Mitty and Crosby. And Midian Crosby originally founded this firm. It was, it was originally called Monster Midian Makeup Effects. Apparently, and this came out during the interview, her name wasn't always Midian. I did not ask what it was. But she took it from Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Now, that's a movie I haven't seen, but I've since looked it up. It looks weird and awesome and cool, and I can't wait to see it. And based on what I saw, I could see why someone who was in movie effects entitled it Monster Makeup Effects... That, that makes perfect sense. So even just check out the poster of Nightbreed. You'll get it. It'll click in. It'll make sense. And on this week's show, we talk about her history in the film business. It's fascinating. The film business, very, very challenging. It's something a lot of people want to do. And we talk about some of the less glamorous aspects of it. We talk about founding a business. We talk about how you get experience. Practical in-camera effects versus CGI. We talk about who her inspirations are, who her favorite filmmakers are. It's a packed episode, and this was one of the easiest interviews I ever did because you sit down with Midian, and you're immediately infected by her energy. She clearly loves what she does, and anytime I get to talk to anyone who loves what they do, man, that's a fun episode for me. It's just great joy, and I bring it to you. I, I cannot wait to get to it, so that's going to be about it for this intro. But I'll just say, if you are not following Monster Makeup Effects, on Facebook, or more particularly on Instagram, and checking out the work that they're doing and the things that they're creating, you are missing out. So go to the John of All Trades website, J-O-N of All Trades.us, and click on the companion blog piece because I'll have links to all their social media platforms. Everything that they're working on, it's in an easy to find spot. Just John of All Trades.us. Click on this episode. You can listen to the episode live there if you're not already, and then go and check out everything that they're working on. It's amazing, it's fun, it's a little bit off-kilter, it's all the things that I adore. So, that'll be the only plug we do at the beginning of the show. Let's get to episode 125. This is Midian Crosby, she is the founder of Monster Makeup Effects, and her episode starts right now. We have only been in this space for a year. 
Okay. Uh, we had another space for two years in, in Denver, and then we had one more space for about a year, two years before that. Okay. So we started off in our living room. So like most <laughs> nice. special effects artists, actually. So. Well, like, like most businesses. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most you people, grow. <laughs> right? We, we kind of made a joke because, uh, monster makeup it, uh, our our proper name is Monster Midian Makeup and Effects. Oh, cool! And right. uh, my husband thinks I'm really cheesy for for continuing to mention this, but uh, the that stands for M. It, it basically is just me. It was just me at first. It was okay, yeah. me, Monster Midian Makeup and Effects. So yeah. it was uh, it was kind of a joke that I had for a while, but uh, we've grown quite quite a bit since then. So we've been around for almost seven years now. Nice. All and right, I've well. been doing film for thirteen. Jeez. Okay. So what were you doing before you were doing effects? Uh, well, I was doing f- effects the whole time. Okay. Um, oh, but, but you were out on your own. Ha- yeah. So freelancing before okay. then uh, and just uh, doing my own thing and then starting my own company okay. was the seven years ago. So. Well, what was that process like? It uh, It's a lot of paperwork. You know, you got to register with the government and the state and like yep. just, uh, you know, make sure you have all your ducks in a row. You and get your tax get, ID number. Get your tax <laughs> ID number. Get your accountant. Uh, right. That's that's kind of an important person. So uh, we did our, a lot of our own stuff at first and it gets complicated. When so. you were freelancing, was it all like 1099 type stuff? Totally. Or, okay. Yeah. I and mean, we still do a lot of that. but Well, uh, sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's easier when it falls under the banner of... of the umbrella that you've sort of created. Definitely. I mean, logistically, uh, and what's funny, what comes up on this show a lot is that a lot of people will like very few people train you to be an entrepreneur. You're, you know what you love to do. And in your case, it's, it's movie makeup and special effects. Right. Right. But you know, no one, no one teaches you the other side of the business, like how to run a business and maybe they do, but I was in business school and I was so bored. I had to change my major. Yeah, instead of just teaching it to the business school students, no why kidding. don't we actually, I mean, why not put it into elementary school? Like, Put it into high school classes. High school classes, uh, get people used to that because it is a huge part of life. I mean, especially these days where everybody has to be a salesman for themselves right. in some way or another and, and being able to to navigate. I mean, how many freelancers do I come across that don't know how to make oh, an invoice? Most of them. And it's, it's kind of and it's, making an invoice is simple when you get down to it. Too. It is, but you know, it's, it's kind of terrifying if you haven't done it before. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. It's intimidating. You go, I have to make an invoice. I'm supposed to bill you for this. Like I, and, and it seems almost impenetrable, but you go, no, like there's a, B and C and you just do it. You'll be fine. So, okay, one thing I'm always interested in is have you you said you've been working in movies for like 13 years, right? Yes. Okay. Did you have something that you were doing before that like because almost everyone I talk to has some sort of job that they do to make money while they're sort of pursuing their passion on the side? Oh yeah. Is that the case for you or so most of those 13 years I had to have something else. Right. Um okay. Josh actually was the first full-time uh, monster makeup effects employee. Oh, nice. All right. Um, he was able to, to not work and really focus on the marketing and, and, uh, doing all of all our, the other stuff, right? Again. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, we needed that even more so. And then when we got the projects, I would do that part time, yeah. uh, for most of my career. Uh, because if you're not in a major hub working in film, then you're only working in film 
as much as you can, which is not 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 all the time and not enough to pay the bills. And it takes I think it takes almost a decade to get good enough to really Mm. be charging something, you know, reasonable. You hear that Um, from comedians, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a decade is 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 really what it takes. I don't think anybody takes you seriously until you've done something for at least 10 years. Um, And you got to reach that 10,000 hour mark. You know, you've you've kind of heard that. Gladwell thing. Yeah. And it really is. There's something to that. You, You become more comfortable. You get like more much. It just it's like a, a switch goes off and you're just like, yes, this is what I do. And it's just, it feels natural. Right. And until you get to the natural point, it's like chaos and pain. <laughs> and so you just have to like keep pushing and, and make, make sure you kind of get through that. Um, and then things get a little bit easier, but sure. you know, in special effects, we're like, we're kind of, uh, we're mad scientists, yeah. we're skill collectors. So we're always doing something a little bit different, a little bit new. And we're kind of like out of our element all the time, uh, oh, yeah. which is why I haven't, you know, being on the road and doing that it's like all right well you know let's just you know make ourselves a little more uncomfortable sure yeah you know why not (laughs) (laughs) because you know that's when that's when the interesting stuff happens uh you know this allows you guys to be nimble right absolutely yeah i mean that's got to be exciting so you're not you're not limited to whatever's going on in denver and i think for people who don't know denver has a more robust film community than people would ever expect any given weekend there's probably two or three feature film shooting and not to mention yeah. all the commercials and everything else. But, you know, if you do special effects or something a little different, you know, we do <laughs> beauty makeup, we do hairstyling, but it's not like something we're super passionate about. So right. we want to be doing the funner stuff and, uh, and being on set more for sure. Yeah, so no, connecting with more filmmakers out there, cause working with good people is what we love. So, sure. and we've worked with a lot. I mean, a lot of the great people in, in Denver, uh, but they, they're not always making something. Right. So, yeah. Well, and Den- I mean, Denver's not, you, you, tar- you said you mentioned uh, hubs, right? Denver is not viewed as a hub, right? I mean, the, the hubs are what? Los Angeles, Vancouver, um, New York, uh, Chicago, and uh, for film, uh, Georgia and uh, Louisiana. Georgia, really? And uh, New Mexico. Huh. Mm-hmm. Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, There's I mean. a lot of stuff shooting in Georgia. Okay. It's awfully humid. And that was actually one of the other things. Well, last year, we were thinking about what else could we do. And the thought was, you know, maybe we should go to Georgia and buy a house because hmm. you can buy a house for $70,000 in Georgia. Get out, really? Yeah. Uh, not in Denver. Oh, uh, no. Especially so, not now. But then I thought, well, do I really want to own a house in Denver? I mean, in Georgia. Like, right. you know, in Atlanta, it's not really a place I want to call home. I wouldn't mind working there and being there, but, sure. I, you know... I, I just don't know how much I want to buy a place somewhere. And I definitely knew we didn't want to spend a million dollars or $750,000 on a house, a mediocre house in Denver. Mm. That just seemed ridiculous. So, right. yeah. So, uh, so you're hitting the road. We're hitting the road. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, let's go back a little yes. bit. As you're a freelancer and as you're sort of working your way up, you're accumulating those 10,000 hours, right? You're, you're building up your decades worth of experience. What types of things do you do on set to build up those hours? You know, like when you're starting out, what kind of gigs can you get? What kind of, what can you expect in the special effects world? In, in any, if you want to get in film, the, the best, the best thing you can do is just do anything. Okay. Absolutely anything to get on any gig because it, it is still one of those industries where it's all about who you know. Mm-hmm. And every, 
opportunity. Every project is going to introduce you to numerous people and you should be trying to impress them every single day, every single person, every single day, whether they're a PA, whether they are the producer, the director, whether you think they're important or not, they could be the, your, your window to the next opportunity. Uh, we all play this bit of a game, you know, who would I hire? Uh, <laughs> and you see people that, that are kind of lousy on set. They don't have what we call the set hustle. The set and hustle. you, you know that, you note that as you're going along. And then right. you're also scouting for the people that you would recommend mm. for a film. And, uh, usually one film rolls onto another, rolls onto another, and somebody knows somebody. And that's how it works. And so whether or not it's a free project, whether you're getting paid <laughs> peanuts, um, uh, you're going to get the experience and you have to kind of just log it. And you got to uh, bust your ass, right? You got to bust your ass. Uh, 16, 18, 20 hour days, <laughs> that is normal. And wow. so one of my instructors in school actually told me, uh, told the whole class, um, you know, if you want to do this for a living, you have to do it every day. Huh. You have to do it all the time, every day. You got to forget about like, you know, having as much social and whatever else you've got going on. And it, it's true. I mean, that's why right. my husband does what, what I do too, because uh, if he didn't, he wouldn't see me. That's it's, just, it's all encompassing. <laughs> well, and it's funny if, if you've ever been on a film set for anything, there is so like people think of film sets as very glamorous places. They are blue collar. They are labor intensive. And so much of it is so mundane. It's oh. people picking up things and carrying them from one spot to another and then probably back. And you do that over and over and over again. And there's so much hurry up and wait yeah. between setups, right? And and like people move. It's like a hive of bees. And you watch it. And I, <laughs> the last time I was on a film set, it was because my company, we were the client and they were shooting a commercial. Not a terribly complex mm -hmm. commercial, but it took forever. Oh, yeah. It's insane. And I, when people think of it as being glamorous, I always have to laugh because you have no idea the sweat and blood that goes into getting something that is acceptable on film, right? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing any film gets done at all because, first of all, it's barely <laughs> it's organized. It's barely organized chaos. It's like <laughs> everything is going nuts. And then all of a sudden it just kind of comes together and then it's happening. But then everybody just sits around and waits. And that hurry up and wait is what has bothered me the most. I, I have spent so many film sets. I've been too many jobs mm -hmm. specifically because I don't like the weight of the hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And so I will be the makeup artist, the hairstylist, the costume designer and the effects artist. And I've been an actor. I mean, like all these things all right. at once because I don't want to sit there. I just, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't handle that. So I'll have pre-production or other things that I'll be doing to kind of prep for the next thing always, uh, because gotcha. sitting and doing nothing makes me tired and lazy. <laughs> and so it's the inertia, right? Uh, yeah. And it's really hard to get, get the go back if yeah. you sit down too much. So, I'm starting to ease off that a little bit. Uh, you know, the last film I did, it felt a little too much. So I'm no longer costume designing for feature films. Gotcha. That's kind of a nice little load off my back. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, costume design several f films, but not mm. anymore. It's too much. Well, it's, it's funny too, because we live in what lately, if you've, if you're reading mainstream media articles about this, it's called the gig economy now where people are going from gig to gig to gig. And, I mean, your business yeah. has been built on that because sure. once, you know, let's say you get a job on a film, that film's going to wrap at some point, and then that job is pretty much over. So yeah. you're looking for the next gig. Always. So I, I'm curious, at what point did you feel like you were sustainable? Did you feel comfortable? Have you ever felt comfortable like, 
this we're we're in a good place now um and and i we're gonna be okay and i feel like this is sustainable long term boy you know i don't know if i've ever felt totally comfortable there was a there was a point where i just had to say i'm gonna give get rid of this other job because i have to i have to devote more time to this and that was that was a nice realization but it's it's terrifying um, and I have to say another reason why, you know, we're going mobile is the dark time in Colorado, especially, mm. is November through January. Okay. And no matter how good of a year we've had, November through January was always terrible. Dead, and we'd, huh? we'd fill it with classes and we'd try and like, you know, figure out different ways. But really, it was a pretty depressing time. Uh, we started making short films during this time, too, mm-hmm. because like you just have to do something. Oh, yeah. And so um, this is kind of another way we can avoid the, the slow season, you know, when it gets cold and people just stop shooting here in yeah. Colorado. They're still shooting somewhere else. I mean, they may not do it on Christmas, sure. but they're right. going to push it a little bit more in other areas areas. So that's another reason is, is because, I mean, no matter how long we've been doing this, it always seems like we're going to close, uh, you know, the mid December it's, it's, it's awful. So yeah, you guys are uh, lean, uh, happy holidays, right? Right. Yeah. Not so <laughs> what much. A nice Christmas gift. <laughs> like it's time to, you know, we've, we've been trying to like work out like how to take a vacation in December so that it's just not as, as, as terrible, but, uh, yeah, oh, it's sad. always been that way. Um, and when you live gig to gig, it's, it's, it is pretty terrifying. You have to do more work. You have to kind of set stuff up and you have to make the calls so that you know you have certain number of things on the horizon that might come through because that's the other aspect of film. You might know you've talked to three directors and they say, absolutely, this film is going to happen. And you just can't count on that until you're actually there. Um, (laughs) even if you have a deposit check, it still doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Things yeah. happen in film and, you know, suddenly it's not happening. There's there's sad. a million reasons why a film won't go, right? Yeah. And as a producer of, of stuff, I understand that. I can I can commiserate. I you know, not sure. like, oh, these jerks, they just like pulled the plug. And it's like, that's not the way it goes. It's just right. there's so many factors with film that, you know, even the Titanic was on again, off again, on again, off again. I think he had a, a red <laughs> light, green light, you know, and it would just kind of happen yeah. with investors and stuff. So. Well, how long did it take to get Deadpool made? Right? You know, after that weird cameo in that that awful Wolverine movie, Ryan Reynolds was basically doing everything short of selling his own soul to get that made. Right. And it's like, this is Ryan Reynolds trying to make a comic book movie for God's sakes. Why is that so difficult? And then it go, it comes out and it kills. Oh, absolutely. And have you seen Jodorowsky's Dune or Jodorowsky's Dune? Uh-uh. It's about the Dune that didn't happen. Oh, the, Dune. Oh, oh man. He had like, I yeah, mean, yeah. they had a, basically the whole movie storyboarded and completely like they knew how they were going to do it. They explained everything and nope, just <laughs> studios couldn't go for it. So it's, it, you can do a lot of work and still not have something go through. It's, it's amazing. That's gotta be weird. I mean, like, and I mean, that's certainly true of any business. I, you know, when I was working in corporate, I, I had what I thought was this perfect sponsorship gig lined up for our company. It would add value to the brand. It would, you know, get us in front of new audiences, et cetera, et cetera. I'd done all the legwork. And we got to the last guy who was going to give us approval. And he basically goes, no, no, not really into this. And I go, you motherfucker. <sighs> like, how, like, seriously, you don't know how many hours I put into this getting buy-in so I could get to you just for you to go, no, yeah. man, fuck that. Right. And that, like, and so I was going to say that's got to be tough, but I'm like, no, I know exactly what that's like. And you never know where it's going to come from. 
I've heard Judd Apatow say that his whole life he's waiting for the punch. Yeah. <laughs> like it's hard for him to just like experience joy and be comfortable, be comfortable because he's waiting for that punch. Sure. And I mean, that's, that's like film. You're almost waiting for that punch, right? Yeah. And not only that, but when you work in film, uh, the other, the other tough thing about, uh, getting started is that you usually can't use any images until the movie comes out. And when you're working on tiny little things, yeah. student films and, and independent films that might take, well, first of all, they might not come out at all. Right, sure. Um, and second of all, if you didn't take your own photos, that you're not going to get a still. You're never going to get a still from the fo- film. Uh, it's never going to work out that way. They always say, don't worry about taking a photo. You can get a still later. Don't do that. Uh, don't believe that. Don't right? believe that. Get your photos because, uh, you know, it, it may never happen. Right. And then the really big stuff, um, you're not allowed to share anything ever. Um, right. so, you know, we, we worked on, uh, Captain Fantastic, uh, wow. and we did the opening shot with a deer and, uh, the deer slit throat. Um, and we didn't know, first of all, whether or not they were going to use the shot, mm-hmm. um, whether or not we were going to, you know, we credit or anything like that. Um, until we saw the movie in the theater, I think a year and a half after we did it. Huh. And so you can't talk about it. You can't, you know, print, you can't put it in your portfolio. You can't put it online. You can't do any, anything with any of this stuff until it comes out. And until it's long past useful. Right? And so you might be five years into your, your career and still have nothing to show for it. Oh, um, and so that's one of the reasons why you kind of have to vary it and work on other smaller productions mm. that, and work that into, you know, Hey, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be able to share the photos. Right. You know, yeah. you got to work that out because otherwise you have no portfolio. And the other killer is that by the time it comes out, you can already do better work and you don't really want to share it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as an artist that's constantly dissatisfied with the level of work that you're doing, that's just absolutely horrifying. (laughs) That's true. I, uh, I have, I have my own portfolio for stuff that I do in the communications industry and I go back and read, you know, authored pieces that I got placed and, you know, press releases and whatever. And I go, Oh my God, someone actually picked this up. Like this actually ran in a newspaper. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's, too weird. I mean, and that's, you know, as a good artist, I think you should never be satisfied with your work and you should always be striving to do better. Um, but it's a little disheartening sometimes when you're like, (laughs) Hey, I can finally share this. Ooh, I don't like it anymore. (laughs) Ooh, I don't care for that. That that, that was an odd choice that I made. Right. Oh, I could do it so much better now. So, okay. So let's, uh, let's do a little terminology here. You do, um, you do special effects, right? So what does that entail? So like maybe another way of asking this is like, what is the elevator pitch for monster makeup effects? Cool. Well, we do a lot of things. So I, I'd say anything that happens practically in camera okay. that is not weather related. So another term for special effects are the people that do the fog and the snow and the wind oh. and the rain. Um, that's also a special effect. Uh, so we don't do any of those. So that's probably the one aspect of special effects we don't do. The other aspect of special effects that we don't really do is uh, anything that's computer generated. Okay. Uh, we work with people that, that do the computer generation. We do some of the green stuff and dots and oh, whatever okay, else yeah. we might need to do to coordinate with those folks. Uh, but we you. don't actually do that portion of it. So you have an aptitude to set up people who do that and and be most successful in doing those effects uh, computer generated. 
Correct. Okay, gotcha. Um, so we do uh, like actor safe props, uh, like prop weapons. Nice. Uh, we do uh, pneumatic uh, bullet hits. So rather than uh, squibs that have uh, gunpowder in them. Right. Uh, so those folks have to be um, certified and uh, firearms and, uh, okay. and what is it? The pyrotechnician. Okay. So we're not pyrotechnicians. I gotcha. uh, but we do work uh, specifically Josh uh, builds air cannons and uh in small and larger, you know, uh whatever size it needs to be for a bullet hit or like a gallon of blood just appearing on somebody from gotcha. whatever it might be. Um we we do all that with uh compressed air basically. Oh cool. All right. So you know, we're able to keep that safe. Uh but my specialty is prosthetics. So oh, nice. right. I sculpt them, I do life casting, so I take um um the the model's likeness and then I uh make a stone copy of it and then I sculpt on it. Wow. And then remold it. And then uh, take the clay out and fill that void, just like they do on Face Off, right. uh, and uh, and either make it out of foam latex, uh, silicone, gelatin, uh, prosade transfers, which are a really amazing thing. Uh, right. It's like a little, like, basically prosthetics made out of glue. Um, okay. they're so cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do uh, scars and tattoos and. Uh, Pretty much anything that kind of alters uh, somebody's look, okay. uh, whether it might be a monster or make somebody look 10 years older or put a beard on them. All that stuff is considered makeup effects. Do you do that with like the crepe hair? I do. Okay. Yeah. Because there was one Halloween uh, I was going as the Dos Equis guy and I couldn't grow a beard back then. So I got some crepe hair. If you don't know what you're doing with that. Oh, man. It's hard. Yeah. Like, you really have to be good with that because the guy sells it to me. At I, I think I went to just like Wizard's Chest or something like that, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, you just you peel it off like this, you stick it right on." I go, like, oh, "That sounds awesome." <laughs> oh, no. And so I do it. And do you remember that episode of Beavis and Butthead where they shave off their own hair and glue it to their face so they uh, can have a beard? No, I didn't. It looked like that essentially. So yeah. you can imagine what that might look like. Well, not not only that, but it comes all like crimped and super like yeah. kinky. <laughs> so yeah, that didn't work out for me. So. Anytime, and I'm I'm not very artistic. I'm not good at creating things like this. So that's why you brought up Face Off. I love watching Face Off. It's a really fun show for someone like me who has no artistic talent. And you're watching these people work themselves to the bone to create these elaborate makeups and uh, characters in a matter of days. Yeah. Which, I mean, is that is that realistic in, in terms of how they're doing that? Or is there some TV magic in there? There's a little bit of TV magic, uh, for sure. Uh, and there's also a level of quality that, you know, if you were really looking at it, uh, <laughs> it's 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 rougher than it, it really kind of appears at first sight. Okay. <laughs> it probably wouldn't hold up to a full movie set. But there's some of them that are really extraordinary. Um, sure. There's, there's several... Uh, very good artists that have been through there. Uh, and with, with experience, yes, you can make something really quickly. Right. I'd say that's probably too quick for sure. Well, and um, I would say first they're making a TV show. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they, they have to almost unnecessary, not unnecessarily, but, uh, affect the environment artificially to create compelling TV drama. Sure. Right. Um, they're, you know, they're not actually creating something that someone is paying for, for a feature film. Right. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's about the process. Um, would you say as someone who works in this industry, has face off been good for your industry, bad for it? Is there, would you put a value on it? 
I think it's been very valuable um, in a couple of different ways, and I think it's been a little bit hurtful in a couple of different ways. Uh, I think it's been valuable in that um, so many more people understand the process of prosthetics now. They, first of all, they understand the word prosthetic. Right. Uh, second of all, they understand, you know, okay, you sculpt it, you mold it, you cast it, you get that. And you understand yeah. that there's different materials that you can use, and and that's that's great. That's like education I don't have to do to every producer, director, (laughs) filmmaker out there as to why it takes so long and why it costs so much. You've shortened the distance of explanation. Um, I think they do show it happening a little too fast. There's a lot of stuff that happens off screen that they don't really capture. Um, There's a a whole team of folks that come in there and prep the molds. You usually cannot run a mold uh, right away. And so there's like issues with that and all these other kind of things that they have to do. The magical elves, right? Yeah. What is that? What is they come in the table. next day yeah. and it's just ready for them. And so yeah, and it's that's... like there's like plastic over it and they just peel it off and you go, who put the plastic on it? Right. I don't remember seeing that. And the costume people that are making their costumes for them and doing right. all this other stuff. So there is an element of that. But uh, the other aspect that's been kind of interesting is that it's it's brought special effects makeup, uh, special makeup effects, whichever you want to call it, um, kind of back into the forefront of people's minds. So you have more filmmakers thinking about it and wanting to use it. Um, you also have, um, you know, I think 10, at least 10,000 people a year, um, graduating makeup school. Wow. That's too many. Uh, there are not enough jobs for all these people. Now, I no. wish there were. I right. wish I wish every film had had amazing special makeup effects and and practical effects, uh, practical meaning in camera. Right. But not, not computer generated. Right. right. Exactly. But uh, there really isn't. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of folks think that if they just go to school and pay like sixteen thousand, twenty four thousand dollars on an education that they're in and they can get a job and they can get a well paid job. Um, it's kind of like acting where, you know, maybe one to two percent of those that are striving for it actually make a living doing it. And so I think there's a lot of education that still needs to go out there as to how realistic of a career it is. I think it's wonderful that people are into it. I think if you want to do it for fun, that that's probably the best way to do it. Um, because it, it is, it, it, it's an all in kind of kind of thing if you you can't just dabble in you can't you can if you don't want to earn a living right you can totally dabble if in special you want to be a effects. hobbyist but if you want to have it as a career you have to be studying it all the time there's technology mm-hmm. is changing all the time there are new things all the time and you have to be networking getting like because it's actually a pretty small industry those yeah. it could probably yeah there's probably less than 50 well-known like really working special makeup effects mm-hmm folks um that i could name that wow. uh you know and they're less than 50 uh you know that are that are big yeah sure. that are that i know of that are doing right. makeup effects right. you know and, uh, yeah i mean and you have the three face-off judges obviously yeah. and then they'll bring in special folks too like and then patrick katopoulos will come back and it's so funny. I mean, it's it's odd that I actually know who these people are, too. Yeah. I was just reading uh, something about the movie Mask from the 80s with Eric Stoltz, remember? Yeah. And uh, Michael Westmore. Sure. Um, you know, did the makeup for that. And I I watched that movie as a kid. And, you know, that that poor kid, Rocky Dennis, you know, you felt bad for him. But it's like, oh, my God, he created that makeup. And that's remarkable. And that is such a lasting image. And I think it's almost an underrated part of filmmaking. So I, I'm inclined to agree with you. The yeah. fact that I actually recognize this and when I'm watching a film, I'm interested in the makeup now. 
I think face-off does have a big part of that. Sure. So, I mean, culturally, yeah, that's got to be good. I mean, what was that Black Mass movie with yeah. uh, Johnny Depp? Was right. Johnny? Yeah. That makeup, like, that's the sort of makeup that really, like, I know people, I love, I mean, monster makeup effects. Of course, oh, of I course, love yeah. monsters. I want to make monsters. Yeah. That is, like, why I named the company that. But there's less of those out there. And so sure, when yeah. you see, when I see, you know, the stuff that, that really makes uh, a, a professional, like, go giddy <laughs> right. is the stuff that looks absolutely real 100 percent, and and the stuff that we know to our eye is is going to be real is the stuff that's natural skin tones and you know these supernatural looking things are real that's the really hard stuff and so that's that's where you get like the you know anybody can make an alien or a monster because you don't have to know none of us know exactly what those things are supposed to look like yeah it's it's very imaginative exactly and that's fun you have a lot more it's a wider berth that you get there Absolutely. Funny. So, is, I mean, is that why uh, when they introduce two-time Oscar winner V. Neal, um, you know, she wins for something like Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah. Right? And so you see that makeup and you're like, well, that's Robin Williams in drag. But the, the deeper you sort of look at it, you go, they had to do remarkable things with that makeup. Oh, yeah. That scene where he just pulls it off and rips it off like they do in all those movies. Yeah. That doesn't just happen. No. Like, that's actually a really – we get calls for that all the time. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a movie magic thing. <laughs> you know, we actually really have to glue that stuff down in yeah. order to keep it keep it on. And it takes half as – typically half as long to take it off as it took to put it on <laughs> if you want to be gentle. So oh, wow. it's it's a long process. Whenever Whenever you see – and and this works both ways. Sometimes you'll see like videos if you're watching Extra or Entertainment Tonight or something, you'll see like Rebecca Romaine sitting down to do Mystique or something, you know, <sighs> which is a whole body too. Yeah. And they're in there at four in the morning and they can't move. And you usually get one or two one of two reactions and it's that looks brutal because yeah. I can't move. And, you know, anyone who sort of understands what goes into that has some empathy there. Sure. And then there are people who are like, oh, actors, spoiled actors. Who cares? Like, you, you just you have to sit there. You're getting paid right. to sort of sit there. And if you've ever tried to sit still for that long, just go ahead and try it. Like, while you're listening to this show, just don't move for the rest of this episode. Oh, man. And I, I can't imagine what that's like. How is it working with actors when you're doing like application like that? It is. I think, I think it's one of my prouder things is that I really care. Um, I, I I consider myself a very empathetic person. And so when I have somebody sitting in my chair, I want them to know that I care about what they're going through. And I know that it's hard. I think every effects artist should be working on themselves and know what it's like. Because, um, and, and not only, I mean, you do it day after day and then it gets even harder because you're just ripping, ripping off skin and taking off all this stuff every day if you're not really careful. And even if you are really careful, it's still hard, Hmm. um, and uncomfortable and painful. And you need to be able to make sure that that person can, can relax. Uh, I did a film, uh, earlier in the th- last year in the spring that initially uh the the prosthetics that were designed uh had to be really babied um and I came in and I redesigned them out of a different material that that kind of glue stuff that I mentioned yeah. and uh 
one of the reasons we wanted to do that is that she could literally go lay down oh. in between the sets and uh, we didn't have to worry about these things coming off or doing anything else. And that gave her a level of comfort that changed everything. Now we have to know, I mean, if they're uncomfortable or they're going through something else, they're not going to be able to do their job. Right. And it's our job to make sure they can do their job. Oh, interesting. And that's, that's really a important. fascinating way of thinking about it. I mean, they're, they're more important. Uh, they are ultimately, they are the talent and they need to be able to do their job to the best of their ability. And if that's part of it is psychological, mm-hmm. um, putting the, making the, them into this character and helping them bring about that transformation. And part of it is just natural. They, they, they're a human being and they need to be able to do their, their thing, whether or not they can see or they can't drink or they can't go to the bathroom. I mean, they can't even sit down. They can't sit down. I mean, all these things are like, they, you think, oh, just whatever, you know, let's (laughs) just suffer. Um, and, uh, and there are times where you're like, come on, man, like, can you just work with me here? Like you're being a little bit annoying, (laughs) but, uh, ultimately when it comes down to it, uh, they're your boss, uh, more than, Sometimes the the producers or the directors are because uh, they have say of, of who's going to be working on them. So that makes good sense. I mean, I know Michael Keaton loved working with V. Neal, like on Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, and you'll hear that a lot actually about V. Neal in particular. She seems like one of the coolest people, uh, one of my favorite people on TV. But you bring up something interesting that's a pet peeve of mine. It's when people say actors make too much money or, you know, I can't believe that Tom Cruise got $25 million for this movie or whatever. And it's like he is getting paid that much because so many people will pay to see his stupid face on screen. Right. For some reason. That for whatever reason, <laughs> right, no matter who it is, uh, whether it's this director or this actor or whoever, people will pay to see that person do their art as a result of that that is propping up so many different industries and so many different contractors whether you're in the the special effects business the makeup business whether you're delivering dry cleaning to and from the set sure. no no matter what it is an entire industry is built upon people wanting to pay to see some actor's stupid face and it's like you can't really underestimate that yeah so, market value i mean yeah it and that's not true of everyone and sure, just like teachers, you know, I think, you know, the base actors should also be getting more pay as well because they're right. also doing a hard work. Oh, uh, certainly. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit weird, you know, as far as the pay scale goes for, for certainly. Hollywood versus, you know, your indie kind of folks. Oh, and I, and certainly I'm not, that's yeah. not the point I'm making. But, you know, really it comes down to that, that whole thing, that skin in the game, that how long have they been doing it? How, how known are they and how, how good are they? Uh, you can have somebody that's new, that's that's really good. I saw a movie. I, I can't, I'll try and think about it the other, while we're talking. Yeah, but the yeah. the kid in it was just phenomenal, and I thought, how is this kid like such a good actor? Right. Because uh, they haven't had a lifetime of experience. But you know, so you get lucky sometimes. But uh, but it is hard work. Uh, yeah. And I suggest anybody that says you know oh, why do actors get paid so much? They should go out and take an acting class and yeah. see and and record it and see how good they are. Uh, and <laughs> see what they would get paid. <laughs> right. I, th- I think that's another alternate, a good alternate take on that. Um, because yeah, not only are these folks good enough to where they get paid a lot of money and support industries underneath them, but compared to your average citizen, I mean, talent certainly speaks for itself. Yeah. 
We do value it probably a little too much here in America. Probably. Uh, you know, other countries don't consider acting to be such a, a noble pursuit. Uh, or maybe it's more noble and less, like, right. commercial. So, you know, there's places that, that consider stage actors, like, to be the, the, the top of the line. But here oh, in America, absolutely. we definitely idolize some strange people. So uh, I, I'd be inclined to agree with you, but... You know, that's that's not to say that the work that they do doesn't support real people doing other very real work. And if you're disturbed by the whole celebrity thing, I have to go see Antiviral or rent it. Oh, really? It's okay. David Cronenberg's son, Brandon Cronenberg's Ooh. first film. And it's all about the sickness of celebrity uh, adoration. And it's 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 one of my faves. So. That sounds awesome. Um, I haven't seen that, but I will now. Awesome. So. <laughs> I love Cronenberg. Cronenberg's like, you know, oh, yeah. his son has really taken. Oh, is he taking the yeah. torch or the, yeah, the torch and run with Cause, it? Cause, uh, David's gotten very, uh, kind of tame mm. lately. I still love his films, but, sure. uh, yeah, they're not as visceral and, and weird <laughs> as they used to be. <laughs> All right. So, uh, fairly prosaic question. I mean, you just mentioned Cronenberg. Who, who are your folks? Well, my name is Midian. And if you don't know, I actually got that from a movie. Uh, it's uh, from Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Oh, wow. And so Clive Barker is probably my on my number one. Uh, like, I, I still get a little bit weird uh, when I'm around him. I, I kind of, he's so probably, the, I have. I actually got to meet him the summer um, several times. But uh, the summer I changed my name uh, was the first time I got to meet him. Hmm. And uh, he's a pretty phenomenal guy. That's um, cool. But super talented and, you know, from a young age, really idolizing the fact that he was a director and a painter and a writer and that he could do so many things so well. And I thought that that was just really, really cool. Um, but Cronenberg and uh, um, uh, Harryhausen, uh, Ray Harryhausen, I uh, love Clash of the Titans. That was I, I wore that tape out when I was a, a kid. So uh, stop motion animation was was a big thing. Um Labyrinth, The Dark Crystal, uh, pretty much anything that uh, uh, Henson uh, put out was was definitely a huge part of my childhood and still a part of my life. Uh, I love that stuff. Uh, I think if I was better with electronics, I would, because uh, I have done some animatronics. Uh, Josh is better at them, but I'm a little bit more uh, organic mm. in the stuff that I do and, and the whole precision, uh, animatronic, uh, electricity things, not so, not really my forte, yeah. but I probably would have gotten into more puppets. Also, if there was more call for puppets, <laughs> I, I love puppets, but <laughs> I, I did not get, a huge call for that. I got to puppeteer once. Uh, oh, really? I was, uh, one of, uh, did, uh, four mechanisms of a 12 mechanism, uh, three puppeteer, uh, two foot mold. Wow. Uh, for a movie called Motivational Growth, which is my favorite movie I've worked on. It absolutely is the weirdest, coolest thing uh, <laughs> I've, I've done. So I loved doing puppeteering. Oh, that sounds a lot cool. Of fun. Did you uh, did you see the stage play of uh, Warhorse? I wish I I read about it. I looked at it like you know it was in my makeup artist magazine and oh, of course yeah. So it was it's really a neat thing. But I didn't. didn't I haven't get to seen see it either. But I you know you'll see some like I I went on YouTube and I saw some videos oh, of it. Right. And it's like that looks like a real horse. That yeah. and I mean again you you mentioned stage plays. That's on stage and you go. That is a degree of difficulty that is almost unfathomable to me. Absolutely. So. It's it's incredible. 
Uh, it blows my mind some of the stuff that, that is capable. And that's one thing just to go back to sci-fi or face off yeah. is that, you know, the more people we have doing this craft, um, the better the craft can get. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like, you know, what we need to do is just keep this craft going and getting better all the time. And the leaps and bounds we've made in the last 40 years, uh, have been pretty astronomical. So that's pretty cool. You mentioned that you think people are coming back a little bit to, in-camera effects and practical effects. What do you think is contributing to that? Well, first of all, I think the people that grew up with it are okay. becoming filmmakers now. Um, so, and the, the kind of uh, newness of that has, has decreased. So, um, you know, as far as CGI and the, the fact that CGI has just gotten, I mean, it's, it's out of control. There's, there's so much money going into it and there's so many people that are doing it and it takes so long to get that done in indie in, with indie film, anything, you know, under $6 million, 10 million, under $10 million. That's where you're going to get like the biggest bang for your practical dollars. And if you, if you take that to a digital guy, you know, you're going to, you're going to get less for uh, more yeah. than, and, and, you can just tell a better story if you do it on set. Uh, the actors are going to act better if it's actually there. Yeah, acting um, is reacting, right? Exactly. And I, there is that kind of uncanny valley that, that <laughs> is really hard to get over with digital. That, uh, that, that's a term that I'm familiar with, but I'd love to have you define it. So it, it's kind of like your mind knows that something is wrong, but it can't quite figure it out. Maybe the physics are not quite there or it just doesn't quite feel right. It's more of a feeling than, than kind of uh, a per perfection. You know, I think, uh, I read in an article once that, you know, like, uh, in one, the, the Hobbit movie, you see, uh, uh, Aragorn or whatever, gleam, gleaming the cube off of a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, tail or whatever yeah. it was, you know, and it's just like kind of your mind just kind of goes, yeah, right. Like, it's just like that. That's not something that's that's correct that you would even like the physics. Right. Just and, don't and it's unsettling to you. Yeah. So, yeah, the Uncanny Valley, I, I've heard it. One of the most common examples cited is that Polar Express movie where you're watching it and the people look yeah. real. Yeah. But they also, you know, like wrong. Yeah. Like there's it's it's off and your brain goes mm, like I feel uncomfortable watching this and I don't know exactly why. Right. And um, it actually pulls you away from the movie yeah. instead of allowing you to just enjoy it. And, it ruins and, your suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And you compare that to something like Jurassic Park, which was a huge movie in, in my formative years. And you go and see that and then you come and find out that that is a lot of animatronics. Yeah. You go. Okay, so they are actually interacting in this tactile, like three D environment, compared to their, you know, they're acting against a green screen against something that isn't even there. And you know, it took Stan Winston really talking to those uh, those producers to convince them that he could do it, that his company could make that happen. Mm. Um, so it, it's also just a matter of also. Kind of the issue with, you know, Hollywood versus indie, uh, is that it's, it's really difficult too with the times that, that we're given to, to make stuff. Yeah. Um, and I guess even in general, and 
And like, again, it goes back right. to face off too. You have to be able to sculpt something in four hours sometimes because, uh, you only got the call last week. I mean, Sharknado, I know those guys that made the shark and they made it in a week. And oh, sometimes that has to happen. Uh, because, uh, you know, there is no pre-production time anymore. People just don't allow for that. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of lazy filmmaking in that, uh, you know, they can just say, oh, we'll do, deal with it later. And the other aspect of it is they can spend, they'll, they're happy to spend more money on it if they can test audience certain ah. things. So if they're going to do it completely 100% digitally anyway, they'll do it three different ways and see which one tests better. <laughs> And so then you don't have somebody like us that's in control, quote unquote, of, yeah. of the effect. And so it's all about kind of controlling the outcome. Everybody wants to make a film that will be successful. And there's kind of like right. a hit or miss. And there's, there isn't a science to it. Um, but I think, I think people are starting to get that you have to have a good story and you have to like, um, make it well. And it's not always about how big or, right. <laughs> how big your explosions are or, you know, anything like that. That's really getting people to come to the theater. And so huh. I don't know if that quite answered it, but no, no, yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, and, and what you're speaking about is the movie business in general. Yeah. Uh, especially. And it, it's funny. I, Last week's episode, I spoke with a guy who's been making, who, who's had his own video production firm, and he does mostly, you know, commercial stuff, corporate stuff. But the issue of staying relevant in terms of uh, an ever-evolving industry, you know, how do you find your lane? How do you find your niche? How do you deal with changing tides, changing tastes, changing, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Norms in terms of the way filmmaking goes. It's got to be a constant battle, and you've been, you know, you've had your shop for seven years. It it had to have changed dramatically in that time, sure. or has it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've grown, we've we've changed. You know, we've tried to do different things and add to, you know, the items that we have and the capabilities that we've done. And you know, in the last year, we built ourselves a bigger foam oven. Yeah, okay. that was a big deal. Uh, so a foam oven. Yeah. So we, uh, so like on face off, uh, the part they don't show you is where they have to mix and bake the foam, the okay. foam latex prosthetics. So they just kind of leave the mold there. Uh, <laughs> and then the next day they come in and it's all done. Right. Well, that process, uh, is it takes, it's kind of like baking a souffle. You have to like mix the right amount of stuff mm. and then you have to mix it for the right amount of time. And then you have to put it in, uh, in the right amount of time and then you have to <laughs> right. bake it for the right amount of time and then sometimes it doesn't work um and so it can take upwards of you know five hours to know whether or not your piece is going to be any good wow that's that sounds tough yeah that's uh. why one of the reasons why uh foam latex uh kind of almost died um and it was really being replaced by silicone in a lot of ways because a lot of the effects got subtler and subtler more subtle i should say mm -hmm. and uh and uh, you know, you got aging effects and things like that that are great with silicone. You know, we, the Harry Potter stuff had a bunch of silicone stuff. Um, but you, you can't go really big with silicone because it's very heavy. Right. So that was kind of an issue with that. And, and I think face off has kind of brought back foam latex a bit because you can go really big and it can still be really light. Um, the problem with foam latex, there's problems with everything. Silicone has problems. Foam latex has problems. It's all kind of hard. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the thing is like, you have to learn how to, you, you have to learn how to glue it down right. You have to learn it. You know, each one has a different type of glue or different types of things that you can do to make it stick or not stick. Yeah. And then there's, there's ways you have to paint it. 
Um, so silicone is, is translucent like skin is, which makes it great. It's also a little bit harder to paint and a little bit harder to, to, to put on. Uh, but you don't have to paint it as much, uh, because if you color it right, it'll blend right in and it'll look great. Uh, but you have to do it just right. And then with foam latex, uh, it's, it's opaque. So the light just kind of stops. Uh, when it hits it. And so you have to bring back that translucency with the way you paint it. And so there's kind of a a different technique for, for every, every type of prosthetic. So that's another reason why it just takes time to, to get used to all these different things. I mean, you were at the intersection of art and science. Totally. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is both an art problem and a science problem. Absolutely. Um, and the, the, like the, I keep going back to these glue prosthetics, but, yeah. uh, Tinsley, uh, um, forget his first name. Uh, I don't know why that happens to me, but, uh, uh, he won, um, an Academy Award for, for innovation, I think, uh, in the sciences or in the technologies sections, but, he created this for uh, Passion of Christ. Oh. And I am pretty sure what happened is that his glue froze and then uh, he realized it kind of held its shape um, afterwards and or it dried out or did something, you know, and it's kind of like there's these uh, eureka moments, you sure. know, you're just like, hey, wait a minute. I think this might do something. And then you experiment with it and you kind of, you know, th- there's all kinds of products that that we're not supposed to be using for this for what we do um you know maybe these were designed you know originally the glues we had were for uh medical adhesives uh and you know we've adopted a lot of stuff from other industries and and made them work for us and so yeah there's there's all kinds of products and 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 things that are just being developed by these crazy special effects minds out there that just kind of like, oh, I wonder what will happen if I do this. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Let's try it, right? You know, you might create some poisonous gas and kill everybody, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and then you've got a great horror movie on your hands. There right? you go. That's probably how Reanimator came about now. <laughs> probably. Um, if you've ever worked in corporate, you know how scanners came about. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you've watched someone's head blow up. Absolutely. Enough times uh, by getting jerked around by people in corporate. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, so let's say I have a shitload of money and I want to give it to you to make a movie. What type of movie would you want to make? Like, do, Or another way of, of asking this question is, is there a creature that you have not made that you are dying to make? You know, I, I'm a problem solver. I, I, I think... So I have a short answer to that and a long answer. I'll start with a longer answer. Um, the longer answer is that uh, I get excited about all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you come to me and say, hey, you know, uh, I want to make a, uh, a Cthulhu. Oh, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> like, you know, cool. whatever creature it might be with Bigfoot or, uh, you know, Cthulhu or uh, Chupacabra, or, Chupacabra <laughs> or, you know, it's like, that's the stuff like, yeah, let's do that. You know, of course, I'm really excited about that. That that'll get me on board no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you want to make a creature. Great. Uh, you want to do an age effect. That's also really cool. Like it, all these kind of things really excite me. I'm not necessarily looking to make always my own thing. I'm getting a little bit more into kind Mm -hmm. of seeing what I want to do, but my career has not been about what I want to do. My career has been making what other people want. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like I'm kind of different 
a little bit than a lot of artists that have to do it for themselves. I have to do it for other people. Uh, but that said, um, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, uh, you know, we're going to produce your next uh, movie. You can do all the makeup effects for it. Which one do you, what do you want to do? My short answer to that is Thundercats. Oh, nice. I want to make Thundercats live action so bad. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. Long answer, short answer, both exquisite. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm a big nerd. I grew up with so many of the the nerd stuff that 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 it's around. I mean, yeah, it's it's in my blood. I I, I did role playing a lot of role playing growing up. So nice. uh, you know anything, and I'm happy. So I'd, I'd prefer it if it had a good script. You oh, know, yeah. I, I'd prefer it if it had enough money. Um, I think those are, those are two things that I'm getting a little bit more picky about because I understand that if you don't have enough money or if your script isn't good enough, it's just not going to be a good enough movie. I mean, those are the two things that you kind of have to start with. Um, you can hope for the best and grow up for the rest, as my dad always said, but, uh, um, I've kind of seen what can happen. And there are some really amazing people out there that can do really cool stuff with almost nothing. Hmm. Uh, but you still need something. In more cases than not. That's true. Hope for the best, grow up for the rest. <laughs> that is, uh, that's outstanding. I don't think I've ever heard that before. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what, Midian, we, uh, we do need to wrap up. <sighs> It, uh, happens so fast. I know. It, I love uh, talking about this stuff. I, as do I. <laughs> um, and, and it's a, it's a thrill to get to sit down with you, someone actually doing this and making a career out of this just because after watching it on TV, it's like, I got to meet someone in real life yeah. who's doing it. This is awesome. And you guys going mobile, I think is going to be great. And you know, potentially opens you up to a lot of different types of projects, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, okay. In the spirit of that, Give us some plugs. Like, where can we find you on the web? Uh, anything that's coming out that you've been working on? Whatever you want to plug, uh, the floor is yours. Do it now. Well, you can always find us at monstermakeupfx.com. And uh, for the most up-to-date stuff, definitely check out our new series on YouTube. Nice. Uh, Monster Makeup Effects Migrations. And you can just YouTube backslash Monster Makeup FX. And we are on Instagram. I have, we have three different Instagrams. We love Instagram. So photos is where it's at for, you know, photos and video. It's just so much more fun. Uh, we are also on Facebook, uh, but I don't do as much Facebook anymore. So definitely Instagram, Monster Makeup Effects or Monster Makeup Effects Migrations. Me, Midian Crosby. Uh, awesome. you can find me out there. I'm willing and able to talk to anybody anytime. You can actually pick up a phone and call me sometime too. What is this phone technology? <laughs> no, right? People are so afraid to use the is phone. That, is that the new platform? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I'm guilty of it myself. I text most of the time. So Right. I but, think we texted to set this up. I think so. But yeah. That's the way it goes. Well, that's I'll why say, I didn't recognize you when you came in. I didn't, I hadn't heard your voice or anything. <laughs> that's too funny. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Midian, this was enormous fun for me. Uh, incredibly illuminating and I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you. I really appreciate that. This has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking with me. That wraps up episode 125 of the podcast. Thank you to Midian Crosby for sitting down with me and giving me some insight into the life of a working special effects artist in the film industry. I had a great time talking with you. Cannot wait to see what you guys do next and best of luck changing to a mobile environment, going across the country being creative in a way that only you know how. All right, let's do some plugs here. 
Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E.es. If you're doing anything on the web, whether you're building a website or trying to build a campaign, 4Degrees will give you the tools and put you in the places where you get the most exposure and the most bang for your buck. They are wonderful. They are exceptional at what they do. And I'm proud that they're a sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast. So, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E.es. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. And John of All Trades is on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all at J-O-H-Pod. Facebook is the only place for previews of episodes before they go up. Those air on Mondays. New episodes go live on Wednesday. I'm back here with a fresh episode next week, so we'll look forward to seeing you then. And until we reconvene, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.